Hi, welcome to Thursday Eye, the podcast, newsletter, and live spaces recording that bring you the best, the most important, the most up-to-date AI news from the past week. My name is Alex Volkov. I'm the host of Thursday Eye, and thank you for tuning in. Today we had an incredible episode. If you listen to this podcast for a while, you may think that I always say this. And that's true, because every week is incredible in the world of AI. And this is, in fact, why we're here. We cover AI art and diffusion models. We cover voice and video. We cover vision and LLMs and open source and big companies and AI engineer stuff like API changes, etc. There's just so many things around the world of AI that it's really hard to stay up to date if you're just one person. In this episode, we've talked about DALI 3, this incredible diffusion AI art model from OpenAI, which is now included with ChatGPT+. And you'd be able to talk to the creation process by talking to ChatGPT and ask it to change some details. Uh, and you no longer will have to be a prompt engineer. OpenAI also released the Instruct 3.5 Turbo model, which is unlike the chat interface or the chat API is less RLHF and faster. We've talked about the incredible releases of Windows Copilot that Microsoft announced just as we were starting this phase. So we didn't have a lot of information, but it was still incredible. Uh, we've talked about barred extensions and some OpenAI leaks as well. We had Arthur Islamov on the podcast, a guy who contributed the, the web GPU spec and WebAssembly. And we dove deep into WebAssembly, WebGPU, and local models running on your browser, basically. And that interview will be coming in a later date. I also interviewed Raunak from Remember All, which is a clever way to augment your LLMs via proxy service and add basically endless context memory. That interview will also be coming in a later date. With that, I give you Thursday I, September 21st. Thursday I is this wonderful thing that happened and um, happened organically as well. And basically what happens is we have this live recording every Thursday, every Thursday I on Twitter spaces. I am very grateful to, to share the stage with, with experts in their fields. And we all talk about different things because AI updates are so multidisciplinary right now. It's really hard for even experts in their one field to follow everything. And so I find this mixture of experts type model on stage very conducive because we all go and find the most up-to-date things from the last week. And then we have folks who it's their specification, for example, to comment on them. And uh, you guys in the audience get the benefit of this. And it just happened organically through many conversations we had on, on spaces since GPT-4 was launched. Literally the day, March 14th, 2023, aka Pi Day, 
was the, the first day we started these places. And since then, uh, the community has grown to just an, an incredible amount of people who join quality experts, top of their field people. I'm, I'm just so humbled by all of this. And since then, many folks told me, like Roy here in the audience, that, hey, we, Alex, you're doing this in this weirdest hour. Thursday a.m. in San Francisco, nobody's going to come. It's really hard to participate in the actual live recording. And so I started the newsletter and the podcast for this. And so if you are able to make it, I more than welcome you to register to the newsletter. You know what? Even if you are here every week, register to the newsletter because... Why not? Because share it with your friends. We're talking about everything I related. Hopefully, hopefully no hype. And I have friends here to reduce the hype when I'm getting too hypey. Definitely none of the, hey, here's a new AI tool that will help you fix the thing you don't need fixing. And I think that's, that's been resonating with the community. And so as you now are here, you're also participant in this community. I welcome everybody to tag Thursday AI under news about AI or hashtag Thursday AI or just like the Thursday AI pod, which probably should join this so people get some more visibility. But you are part of the community now. Those of you who come back, those of you who listen in, those of you who share, all of them, all of these things are very helpful for the community to grow and for us to just know about more stuff. It's actually an incredible signal when two or three or more of you react under a piece of news and say, hey, we probably should cover this in third day. It really helps, truly. I think with that, yeah, I think this intro is enough intro. Welcome. What's up, Sophia? How are you? All's well. Thank you very much. I wanted to to strengthen your point about the time factor. Yeah, so we expand. So anyone here who wants to be a little bit interested in generative technologies and breaking news and have some things to do in the meanwhile, and also looking to actually build something cool from all of this. Time is the limiting factor here. That's like the, the hardest resource here. Having this group and having everyone explore everything together, it's a lifesaver. It's like a order of magnitude improvement on our ability to move forward, each one individually and as a group together. Just to give examples, so I'm interested in generative images, videos, and audio. And for each of these, there are hundreds of models right now available with the availability to make fine-tunes on specific data sets. For some of these, generating a single asset like a video can take hours. Training takes hours. Uh, if you want to explore a little bit, uh, like, at the effect of different prompts, just generating hundreds of samples takes hours. So without this group, it would be impossible to even know where to go and where to invest my time. And the name of the game right now is to just choose where you invest your time on to actually get things done and keep up. So thank you, thank you, thank you for you and for this group. And let's have fun. Thank you, Sophia. Thank you, everyone. I definitely feel super powered by the people in this group who can like back me up on. I read one tweet and then I saw some people react to this tweet, but I didn't have the time or the capability or the experience to dive in. And then there's folks here who did, and then we kind of complete each other. And I think our motto, I haven't shared since we started, but our motto is we stay up to date so you don't have to. And have to, I think, is the operating word. You want to stay up to date and you're welcome to stay up to date. You're welcome to tag us and talk with us and leave comments here in the chat as well, but you don't have to. 
anymore because there's a there's a newsletter that will update you and there's a folks on stage who will talk about it. I want to briefly cover one tiny thing that I did on the podcast that I think I, I will start doing as well. So, so far, editing this hour and a half, two hours that we have here live was a pain, but I just decided to lean into this because the conversation we're having here is so much more informative and interesting that any type of summary that I want to do or wanted to do is not going to do it justice. And so I had some different feedback from different folks about the length of the podcast. Some people said, yeah, 25 minutes, just the updates is like the, the right spot. And uh, yeah, the podcast is moving towards this is going to be the live recording. I'm going to edit this. Don't worry. But besides that, the podcast will be this conversation going forward as much as I'm able to edit this and ship both the newsletter and the podcast in time on Thursday. Uh, but with that, Sefer, thank you for the kind work, man. I appreciate you, you being here and sharing with us your expertise. Uh, I want to say hi to Zanova and Arthur. We'll start with Zanova. Welcome, Josh. How are you? Yeah. Hey. Um, yeah, pretty good. Been busy, busy, busy. Uh, for those who don't know, I'll just quickly introduce myself. Yeah, I am the creator of Transformers.js, which is a JavaScript library for running Hugging Face Transformers directly in the browser or Node or Dino or maybe Bunsu. Who knows when that gets sorted out properly, but any JavaScript environment that you're, that you're looking for. And yeah, I recently joined Hugging Face, which is exciting. Now I'm able to sort of work on it basically full time. And yeah, lots of lots of exciting things are are in the pipeline. It's been incredible to have you here and then see your progress with Transformers.js and then you're joining Hug and Face. And I appreciate your time here. Uh, Arthur, uh, thank you for joining. Please feel free to introduce yourself. Okay. So my name is Arthur and I am fixing and making WebAssembly to work with big models. So soon you will be able to run anything huge in the browser and I'm particularly interested in diffusion models. So right now I'm making the staple diffusion 2.1 to work in the browser and then have some plans to make SDXL and maybe as well as Llama and other models too with all that work done. That's awesome. Thank you for joining. Yo, what's up? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, my name is Farouk. I'm like founder of Not.ai, where we build autonomous agents and also working on Skunkworks uh, AI, which is an open source group where we are pushing the boundaries of what we can do with LLMs and AI as a whole, really. Our first like major project is this open source MOE architecture that we've been tinkering around with for the last couple of months. We're also exploring even more exotic AI arcs to try to get to GPT-4 level capability for open source. Awesome. 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 And Nistan, welcome, brother. Yeah. Hey, everyone. I'm Nistan Tahirai, and I'm terminally online. <laughs> Thank you. I, I'm also, I'm a dev in Toronto. I worked on the first doctor wrapper, which is still doing pretty well. No complaints so far, six months later, knock on wood. And yeah, recently started doing a lot more open source stuff, put out a bunch of open source doctor models on, on Hugging Face, which I still need to write a benchmark for because there is no safety benchmarks that are public. And yeah, lately been working with Ferg to 
make the whole Skunkworks AI mixture of experts model more usable because it's still, it's not even bleeding edge at this point. It's more like hemorrhaging edge <laughs> <laughs> technology. It takes like three people to get it to work. And I'm, I'm extremely interested on the web GPU side ever since Zenova on a random tweet just gave me the command to start Chrome Canary properly. And then I was able to load a whole 7B model. And yeah, I'm thinking next for the future, if if things go okay, I mean, my goal that I've set myself is to have some kind of distributed mixture of experts running via web GPU and then having Gun.js encrypted connections between the the different nodes and experts. And, and, and we'll see how that plays out because everything is changing so quickly. But yeah, it's it's good to be here. And I'm glad I found this Twitter space randomly uh, way back in. Yeah, for a long time. I just want to welcome Yam to the stage. And Yam doesn't love introducing himself, but I can do it for you, Yam, this time if you'd like. All right, so I will just run through the speakers on stages real quick. Yam, thank you for joining us. Folks, Yam is our, I, I could say, resident machine learning engineer extraordinaire, everything from data sets and training large language models, understanding the internals of how they work and uh, baking a few of his own. Uh, definitely the guy who, if we found the interesting paper, he, he will be able to explain this to us. Nisten, I call you like the AI engineer hacker type, like the stuff that you sometimes do, we're all in awe being, being able to run stuff on, on CPU and doing different like approaches that like nobody thought of them before. Fire, you're doing like great community organizing and we're waiting to see from the MOE and Skunk Works and folks should definitely follow Pharrell for that and join Skunk's Works OS. It's really hard for you to say Skunk's Works OS efforts in the Discord. Zenova is our run models on the client guy. So Transformers.js, everything related to Onyx and everything related to quantization and making the models smaller, all of that, all models, all modularities, but I think the focus is on, on the browser. Arthur, you're new, but obviously you introduce yourself with GPU stuff. We have Roy, who's a DevRel in Pinecone, who did, he didn't say, but Pinecone and VectorDBs and context windows and, and discussion about RAG, like all of these things, Roy is our go-to. And Safir also introduced himself, everything vision, audio, and excitement. So a very well-rounded group here. And I definitely recommend everybody to follow. And now with that, now that we're complete, let's please start with the updates because we have an incredible, incredible Thursday, literally every week, right folks? <laughs> literally every week we have an incredible Thursday. So we'll start with, with two big ones. I want to say the first big update was obviously Dali. So I will just share briefly about my story with Dali, and then I would love folks on stage also to chime in. Please raise your hand so we don't talk over each other. Dali, when it came out, when the announcement came out for Dali 2, I want to say it was a year ago, a year and a half ago, maybe, in January, February or something. This blew me away. I have something called aphantasia where I don't know if you saw this, but like I, I don't have like the visual mind's eye, so I can't like visually see things. And it's been a thing with me all my life. And then here comes this AI tool that can draw. Very quickly, then I turned my, I noticed stable diffusion, for example. And I just like, it took away from there everything that I have. All my interest in AI started from DALI, basically. Um, and DALI 3 seems like the next step in all of this. And the reason I'm saying this is because 
Valley 3 is visually incredible, but this is not actually like the biggest part about this, right? We have Midjourney. I, I pinned somebody's comparison between uh, Dali and Midjourney. And Midjourney is beautiful and gorgeous and a way smaller team. Dali 3 has this beautiful thing where it's connected to ChatGPT. So not only is it like going to be not separate anymore, you're going to have the chat interface into Dali 3. ChatGPT will be able to help you as a prompt engineer and you'd be able to chat with the creation process itself. So you will ask for an image. And if you don't know how to actually define what you want in this image, which types you'd be able to just chat with it. You will say, you know what, actually make it darker, make it more cartoony, whatever. And then ChatGPT itself with its brain is going to be your prompt engineer body in the creation. And I think quality aside, which quality is really, really good. The thing they're highlighting for, for DALI 3 is the ability to have multiple objects and subjects from your prompt in one image because it understands them, but also definitely the piece where you can keep talking to an image is changing the image creation UI significantly, where Midjourney, with all, all the love we have for Midjourney, is still stuck in Discord. They're still working on the web. It's, it's taking a long time. And we've talked about ideogram, delete them from the site. Uh, we know that Google has multiple image models, like Imogen and different ones. They have like three, I think, at this point that they haven't yet released. And DALI, I think, is the first multi-model on the output model that we'll get, right? So multi-model on the output means that what you get back towards you is not only text generation. And we saw some other stuff, right? We saw some graphs, we saw some code interpreter, can run code, etc. But this is a multimodal on the output. And very exciting. I, I DALI 3 News took Twitter by storm. Everybody started sharing this, including us. We can't wait to play with DALI 3. I welcome folks on stage. I want to start with the free reaction, but definitely to share what we think about this. And the last thing I'll say is that now that the community is growing, suddenly people DM me. So first of all, you're all welcome to DM me about different stuff. I see, I see somebody in the audience who DM me. I think she's still here. So shout out about joining the beta test for DALI 3, which now they, they're able to share about. Funny tidbit, it was, it, it's right now baked into the UI. So DALI 3 is going to be baked in the ChatGPT Chat Enterprise UIs. However, when they tested this, they tested this via a plugin. So OpenAI actually built a plugin and had like a restricted access to this plugin. And folks who like talked with this plugin, the plugin ran the DALI ChatGPT version behind the scene. And we don't have access to it yet. I don't know if anybody on stage has access. Please tell me if you do. The access is coming soon, which is interesting from OpenAI. And I think that's most of the DALI stuff that I had. And I want to, wait, like Earl, a, please, 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 buddy. Like, I want to hear from Safriya, please. And please raise your hand. I, I really need uh, us to not talk over each other. Thank you. So yeah, DAL E3 is looking amazing. I did see some examples that people with early access were generating, and it's far more detailed and forgiven than the things we are seeing from Stable Diffusion, and much less randomness, I would say. And what's exciting here is a few changes in the paradigm of how it works. For example, like you said, it doesn't expect you to know all the intricacies. You can describe in your natural language what you want to see, and it will use GPT, however much they are powering the for generating a prompt to make the whole image. That's the one thing. 
the other thing is that it's not text to image, it's more a conversation, similar to how ChatGPT is a conversation between you and the assistant. DALL-E 3 is a chat, so you can see in the video that they released, you generate one image and then you discuss if you want to make changes to it, if you want to make more variations, and that would be very interesting to see in the flow. From the AI artist perspective, I think it will be met with a little bit hesitation, at least not knowing how much fine control they are providing. If they are letting away to influence all these various parameters that the model uses, that is a lot of the workflow for generating AI art. Uh, when you want to make a piece for release as an artist, you spend a lot of time fine-tuning it. And today with Stable Diffusion and with Midjourney, we have a lot of fine-grained control over changing the parameters by a little bit, adding one more word, that's one thing. And another thing is that artists usually actually want to have that control over the prompt. For example, this week I saw an interesting example, I'll try to find it for you, where the artist adds the words event horizon to an image. Now the image is not of space, but the model does take that idea of the event horizon shape and makes the image more shaped like an event horizon. So those are the kinds of tricks that right now prompt engineers use to make very specific uh, changes in the image. So I'm interested to knowing if DALL-E 3 will allow that kind of control. And most of all, finally, we had DALL-E 2 very early in the game before Stable Diffusion even gave the first Lumpy models before everything. And there was so much work and mid-journey and so many much interesting things coming out in image generation. And OpenAI were always like hanging back. We, we have this very basic DALL-E 2, which sometimes works and usually doesn't. Gives you very weird results. So yeah, good to see that they are still working on actually innovating and thinking of the next step in how we can combine all of these technologies to make something that's much more fun to the user experience. Absolutely. And I will remind the folks, the internals behind kind of diffusion models, like stable diffusion, etc. OpenAI actually made the whole field happen, I think, with some, was it VIT, a vision transformer that they released? And they released the first, the first diffusion. Yes. And so like the whole field is O2 OpenAI, that's great. It's a free I joined you and it's super great to see them innovate and give us some new UIs for this because I heard from multiple people who have access to this, that this, you can get lost in just chatting to a picture, to the creation process. It's like a whole new creation process, basically. Like prompting, but chatting, I'm very excited about this, very excited. So we'll definitely talk more about this. I want to move on to the next thing, which is exciting. And so <laughs> until today, basically, the world co-pilot meant GitHub co-pilot, at least for those of us with VS Code, those of us who write code. GitHub Copilot obviously is the autocomplete engine that gives you code abilities. And many of us use it, many of us don't use it. But today, I think Microsoft, who owns GitHub and who is very close with OpenAI, has announced Copilot for Windows. And it's coming soon with a Windows update. And we've seen some previews about this in some discussions. And um, I find it 
very interesting that Microsoft is innovating in AI, whereas we're waiting for Google to come up with Gemini. We're waiting for Google to, we're going to talk about BARD updates as well. Uh, but Copilot for Windows will be able to be just a sh a, like a shortcut away. I think Windows C is the new shortcut and you'd be able to ask it like you asked JGPT for different things. And for those of us in the audience who didn't join us in the previous Thursday Eyes, we talked with Killian from this open source called Open Interpreter. And one of the things that we both, we all like in Open Interpreter is that it runs on my machine and it generates code and some of that code could be AppleScript. And so it's very easy to run stuff on the Mac using AppleScript. You can open calendar, you can send emails, you can do a bunch of stuff. And so it was beautiful to see that like even an open source agent like Open Interpreter is able to run code and then activate stuff on your computer. Having, and I think Killian mentioned like Microsoft's Copilot is coming. Not just a week later, exactly a week later after that discussion, we now have Windows Copilot, which is going to be able to run Windows for you. It's going to be able to open apps and, and shut those apps. It's going to be able to just like be a chat GPT, but living inside Windows. And I think it's going to be based on GPT-4. Only makes sense with the Microsoft OpenAI collaboration. And like, I can't understate this for a second. GPT-4 was released on March, right? ChatGPT was released less than a year ago, on November something. And now the next version of world's probably most common operating system, Windows, is going to have AI built in as a companion. How insane is this, folks? I, 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 I have a Windows machine because I have an NVIDIA GPU, blah, blah, blah. I'm not only, I'm not only on the Mac. And I am really excited to like play with this. An additional thing that they've announced together with this update is connecting to the previous thing that we said, which is Bing Chat and Windows Copilot will both have DALI 3 built in for free. So DALI 3 is going to be possible on GPT Plus subscribers, the, the ones of us who paid the 20 bucks. However, for through Bing, you'll be able to get it for free. And it's going to be part of Windows, right? So my mom, who probably doesn't use Windows. Okay, her husband. My, my mom's husband uses Windows. He'd be able to use GPT-4 to run his Windows and also generate images. I think that's incredible. And only Microsoft can give it out for free. I think that's mostly it in the Microsoft update. However, it's breaking news. Literally, they released the tweet once we started the space. So I'm sure more stuff will come out of there. But uh, I invite folks on stage to chime in with Windows Copilot news. What do you think about this? Whether or not, you know, this is going to change multiple people's usage of Windows or, or not. The whole using software thing is all up in the air now. Right? Everyone's in creative mode. Yeah, it's pretty hard to predict what's going to be the, the better interface. Voice is getting really good. Open Interpreter showed that it can do a whole bunch of stuff. You can also delete all the JSON files on your computer accidentally, but I, I think those those will be worked out, those issues. Yeah, it is hard to it's hard to call because again, Bing is still a free beta service. They haven't quite figured out how to fully monetize that because that's not cheap to run especially considering that it is the multimodal image one. So yeah, don't have that much an opinion. I think it's still too early to call as to how interfaces will. I agree. I just, I'm excited that AI 
that we've come to know for less than a year is now baked into an operating system for everyone, right? Even going to a website like ChatGPT registering is not for everyone, and they will they will definitely lower the bar for usage here. What's up, Jan? I I just want to say that we've seen because everything is so early, yeah, we've seen really great infrastructure for Rug, but we haven't seen a wide scale product using Rug on this scale yet. So and and it makes sense at the end. I mean, you have a lot of information scattered around uh, all different software and different devices. It, I think it's the perfect idea to just merge everything with the rug and just allow you to uh, chat with whatever information you have everywhere. And Microsoft is uh, perfectly positioned to do that. And I'm looking forward. I think that I think it's a great idea. I don't know if the implementation uh, will be uh, great. It's, we need to see. I think it will, but we need to see. But I think that as a concept, is a great concept. Something that I saw from a person who's very close with the Microsoft team for some reason, the guy behind Bing, his name is Michael Parakin, and he has this like very non-branded Twitter account that barely has an avatar image. And he's been doing, yeah. He's been doing, he's been doing like customer support basically on Twitter. Like people will say, oh, Bing has this, has that. And he's like been very, very responsive to some people. And so two things that he did say, first of all, DALI 3 is already part of Bing for some percentage of population. So if you use Bing, and we've talked about Bing before about image and vision. If you use Bing, go try and generate images with it. It, it used to be DALI 2, but if you get good ones, you may get DALI 3, which is incredible. You may already have this. And the second thing is, I saw somebody commented that he is now head of Windows, right? So the guy behind Bing, the guy who pushed AI into Bing, is now moving to be ahead of Windows. And I think this, together with this release, shows us that how just how much Microsoft is serious about AI everywhere and is determined to not miss this new wave like they missed the mobile wave. And everybody says that Apple overtook Microsoft and Microsoft was like late to mobile. And it just show, goes to show like how much they invest in this whole thing. And I find it like very, very good because for many people, even going to a website is a barrier of entry. And then when it's just like one click in their operating system of choice, it's going to be, it's going to shove AI into way more people's faces. I also want to say that Microsoft out of the big ones is fairly based in terms of safety and uh, regulation, which we usually don't talk about, or we can talk about in, in the next phase, but like we can have worse than Microsoft which is surprising for me because I used to hate on Internet Explorer most of my life. <laughs> and so now Microsoft is very based. I think less comments on Windows Copilot here, folks, and then we can move on to the next stuff from OpenAI. So my last one is I've started using Edge Canary as my daily browser just because of the sidebar and the splitting. So if you have a widescreen monitor, it's actually very handy because you can have Code Interpreter on one side and I'll, I'll show an image of it very quickly. And I have Bing, which has an excellent voice back and forth and has really good voice generation, which normally would be very expensive if you're paying for it, but it's in beta. And uh, then I have the actual uh, work. And uh, on the sidebar, you can have, uh, anyway, this interface is a bit convoluted and Edge browser is, is still a little bit clunky, but Overall, it's been working pretty well for me. So I, I don't know. I sort of see the browser as being 
more and more important that your operating system. Some people disagree. They're trying, like Sean is, is trying to do more uh, OS native stuff with his tool that lets you run multiple ones. But yeah, you can see the screenshot of how I've started using it with voice. So in general, I see it as you'll just talk to it back and forth. I think that's... Were you referring to Swix's God Mode app where you can run all the LLMs in like a window? Yes, but that one, for example, on the map is right, there's an icon right beside the clock and you just click that and it pops up. So it's unintrusively there and it adds to your experience instead of getting in the way. And I, I do like that part because it is using real estate on the screen efficiently. But again, if you have a, if you use a wider monitor, so can Edge with all of its right sidebar shortcuts, because then you can add your Discord, your Outlook and, and stuff there too, right where the GPT, like right where I use the code interpreter window. And they even have some completion and document writing stuff too now. So that's how I see it. I, it's, it, again, it's up in the air what people will find most helpful. Absolutely. And I've been using Bing somewhat as well. And yes. The sidebar can also read from the page, right? So the Bing chat in the sidebar has access to the page if you give it. And that for like summarization and different things, that's really, really excellent as well. Like it completes your browsing experience. So I'm assuming that they're doing some stuff with the copilot. All right, folks, we're moving forward because we have much to cover. And there's more news from OpenAI. They actually came before DALI and we were, we were supposed to talk about them first and then DALI, but sorry, and then DALI came out. And now let's cover some news from OpenAI. So it feels like the theme behind all of these news is OpenAI is trying to rush stuff to the door or to announce some stuff to the door because they know or they hear or they saw the information from Google breaking out about Gemini, the multi-model, huge model from, from Google that is potentially GPT-4-like and can do images on the input and output as multi-model on the output as well. And so we don't know many, sorry, we don't know much information about Gemini so far, but we do know that the information, kind of the publication called the information released that Gemini is coming very soon. And we see the response from OpenAI in multiple places, right? So DALI 3 is one of them. OpenAI released, so the information also leaked about OpenAI gearing up to give us vision. For those of you who remember, pretty much every space since March, we're talking about GPT-4 that is also multi-model on the input. And yeah, we can probably go into the details whether or not it's fully multi-model versus Gobby, and I would love for you to participate in this. But basically, GPT-4, when they announced, they showed the demo of it. Uh, they gave it some screenshots. They gave it like a, a sketch of a website that was able to code that website. And then we didn't get that feature, the multimodality from GPT-4. We didn't get it. The only people who got it, and me and Nista interviewed the CEO of this, is Be My Eyes, which is this app for blind folks and they just like shove GPT-4 vision in there to help those with eyesight issues. And it seems that now Google has finally stepping into the arena, sorry for the pun, and that we may get GPT-4 vision very soon. I actually saw some screenshots how it looks inside the GPT-4 chat GPT interface. And the additional exciting thing is they have a different model with the code name Gobi that is apparently it work in works in OpenAI, and that one is going to be multimodal and like fully. So, Yam, I would love to, if you can repeat what we talked about last night about the differences and how GPT-4 is multimodal but not fully. I would love for you to expand on this. 
first, it's important to understand that there is a huge difference in infrastructure between the two companies. And the infrastructure uh, dictates uh, what is possible or not possible, what is hard or not hard. From the rumors, nothing is confirmed, but from the rumors, the, the structure and the size of GPT-4 is, uh, is, it was chosen to fit the hardware, the infrastructure to actually run the model. You know, it doesn't matter if you have the best model in the world, if you cannot just serve it. So Google is using its own hardware, which is not sharing with anyone else. And it's important to understand this. So when we see that Google is doing according to the rumors and, and in say training run or, or preparing to ship or, or serve an insane model that multi-model on the input and on the output, it, the reason we didn't see, I see, I think, the reason OpenAI didn't release uh, GPT with the, the image head uh, is simply because it, <laughs> probably expensive. It's not that easy to deploy something like this, especially not with the amount of people that use OpenAI services. And, and I think this is, this is what we see. This is the reason for what we see at the moment. Now, it's important to understand that according to rumors, again, nothing is confirmed, take with a grain of salt. According to the rumors, which makes sense, GPT-4 is first a language model. It was trained as a language model, just language model. And once it was trained, it, there was, they added an image uh, head to the frozen model. This basically, this reduced the risk of something going wrong with full multimodality end-to-end. And moreover, it allows you to just use the model on its own. And if you want, you can plug the head. So you can do them, you can, it's flexible. You can use them with or without the head. Now, the thing is that there is, you do pay a price because again, with a grain of salt, there, there is, there is, there are caveats to this, but we have already seen multiple times that multimodality when done right, benefits both modalities. So GPT-4 allegedly did not benefit from the multimodality. And this is the difference between GPT-4 and the new rumored model that we have. According to rumors, the rumored model was trained end-to-end images and text throughout the whole training. So we should, if it's true, if everything is true, we should expect a better model. Only if you just use it for text, we should expect a better model because the, the images just influence the text and text influence the images and so on and so forth. That's great. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, uh, one follow-up question. Uh, you, you, you spoke about benefits from training on text and vision. And I remember Ilya Sotskover also talked about this, I think, with the Jensen CEO of NVIDIA, and he talked about different other places. Could you speak to some of those uh, potential benefits of how multimodal uh, trains on text and images is actually better? If I remember correctly, Ilya said, Ilya gave the perfect example for this. You can, if you really want, you can describe what the color red means with text or, or what, what objects are red. But all of this will be nothing like just seeing the color red. So there is a difference between actually training on images and versus training on text that describe the images. 
which is just, it's just a different sensation. So the whole, you can say the world model inside the language model is influenced by, by the images. And I think color is, is just a great example. And it, yeah, if I remember correctly, that was an example Lee gave in this interview. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other one he said is it's obviously better at, at stuff like textbook math or physics, where it's able to actually read different the graphs and everything. It's like it, it just arrives at the at the at the question faster. But also like Yam, you, you correctly pointed out, the world model of this model is way better because it's it's able to see basically. So we have Potentially exciting news. One thing I will add is that, Yam, I think you're correct that OpenAI just didn't want to spend the kind of this GPU cycles on the vision model and uh, the, uh, being able to attach a head with vision, I think is exciting. I I do want to highlight that Microsoft likely has the, the bandwidth for that because Bing has the ability to have vision. Now, I don't know if it's like the full one. I don't know if they did some work because the examples that I've tested with Bing vision gave less quality-like responses on images than I was expecting GPT-4 from the example. So maybe they nerfed it, maybe they did some stuff for optimization speed, but yeah, definitely it feels like infrastructure was gearing up for this and hopefully we'll see it soon from OpenAI. Another thing we saw from OpenAI, and I think this, this last one, we have a, a bunch of OpenAI updates, is the 3.5 instruct model. And unlike the ChatGPT model, 3.5 instruct is very similar to how OpenAI APIs were actually working before the ChatGPT explosion, before you were able to like do back and forth conversation, before it was hourly shift for conversation purposes. And I saw many, many folks get very excited about 3.5 Instruct because it's very similar to what we had before ChatGPT, but it's much faster. Now, we don't know if it's faster because way less people use this because it's new, or it's faster because they actually did some turbo magic on it but would love to invite folks on stage, maybe Roy, maybe Nisten, to talk about the instruct and the difference between kind of this endpoint in the API versus the regular chat endpoint. If you have anything to, to, to add here from what you read, please feel free to, to add. I used it in the playground to just like write an agreement for the site, like a privacy agreement. It was pretty good for that. It just, it's annoying that the context window is so small. It's only a 4K context window. And it's more like only 3.5K because some of it will be your prompt. I think it has some very other very good usability uses, which we haven't experimented with yet. Like the one person got it to play chess very well. And I think it's, yeah, it's really worth looking at for stuff like doing automation or you're continuing some work on your desktop for example, with Open Interpreter, and uh, it'll be able to continue generating in, in that regard. So th there are quite a few things to explore there. Uh, I'm just glad it's cheap and it's good. So that's that's what we want at the end of the day. Yeah, it's it's cheap. And I think for many folks, they were surprised with like the chat interface. They had to switch for ChatGPT to get like the benefits and the speed, and now they're happy that they have the instruct model of all. They also added log probs. So I I would love to ask folks on stage because I'm not entirely sure what like log probs is in the API response. And I saw Alex Gravely and some other folks are getting excited about log probs. And uh, I want to say just before, I want to say hello to Ronak. If I'm pronouncing this correctly. 
Awesome. Welcome, Ronak. And we're going to talk about uh, Rambrol in a second or in, in a few minutes. But uh, if you have comments on the Instruct API and log props, feel free to share. Yeah, I do. Log props is awesome. It basically gives you like token level probability distributions on in terms of the model. So normally when you are using GPT-4, GPT-3, you just get words back when you're when you're querying the model. But what log props allows you to do is, is see the probability distribution that's outputted by the model that is normally sampled by like the temperature parameter. And you can use that to do a lot of like really interesting things. Like for example, if you're if you're asking GPT to solve a multiple choice question, for example, it's really useful to actually understand the model's confidence in whether it's A, B, C, or D. And you can actually get that directly from the model by examining that probability distribution from the log props. So it actually provides a lot more insight into what the model is thinking. And I think that's a pretty useful technology. You can actually do a lot of clever things with it. Like someone built something called like JSON former, which is basically like a tool that allows you to, if you have a model that exposes log props, you can only sample the tokens that basically are valid JSON tokens and construct a response that is very much aligned with like a certain format that you want. So I think that's a pretty powerful tool. Thank you, Ronak. Thank you. And I remember JSON former and did not know that they use log log props for that. So here you have it, folks. There's a new endpoint for you your usages of OpenAI APIs that now exposes the token probabilities. So you can use this to build better tools and different types of tools. And uh, yeah, Ronak, would you uh, care to introduce briefly? I will ask again once we record kind of your section, but uh, feel free to introduce yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a senior at MIT. I'm graduating in a couple months. Um, my background's in machine learning, artificial intelligence. Um, been doing research in this area for quite a few years now. Um, yeah, I'm working on some interesting projects that we'll dive into later, but basically building long-term memory for language models. Awesome, awesome. Thank you. Thank you for coming up and thank you for explaining log, log props as well. All right, so the next thing I want to talk about briefly, and really briefly, because it's not that great, <laughs> is Bard from Google. Before we get to Gemini, before we hear from Google's like explosive GPT-4 combating model, etc., right now we have Bard. For some reason, we also have Google Assistant, which I'm not sure like what's the involvement with LLMs there. But Bard is uh, something that some folks on, on stage here use. Um, and I was never like very, very excited about Bard for some reason. However, they just released a few updates to Bard and they say like, this is the best Bard ever. And it feels like very googly, very like product managery to me, at least. What they released is uh, something called extension, right? So if you used Bard before and you haven't touched it in a while, like I haven't, if you go to Bard right now, what you will have is the chance to update it with extensions. Those extensions could access your Gmail, all of it, your Google Drive, all of it, YouTube, I think some other ones that to remember. And the cool thing about this, which I actually like, is the UI. You can do at sign, like, like you mentioned somebody on Twitter, and then you have access to those extensions. It's a different take on the plugins with ChatGPT, where like ChatGPT plugins, you have to be in that mode. It decides for you, blah, blah, blah. So here you can actually say like add Gmail and then ask it questions. It will actually go and do a search in your Gmail account and give you back answers with, with natural text. So conceptually pretty cool, right? We all use Gmail or like at least most of us use Gmail. And so to be able to like get summaries of the latest emails, blah, blah, blah. 
So conceptually very cool. Google Docs as well. You can tag Google Docs. You can do Google Drive. Oh, Google Maps is the is the other one. So you can actually say like, hey, what are some of the stuff that in, in San Francisco, Seattle, whatever, it will give you. The thing that I was really surprised by is just how bad it is. Just honestly, not to... If there's folks in the audience who work on BART, I apologize. And sometimes we say these things, but there's like so many, so many people working on this stuff. And like it's the, the nights and weekends, they don't see family. So like, I apologize. Or just netto from the comparison point and my experience, I was really disappointed in how Google, who's this like huge company that like created Transformers for us, it, like they, they're not afraid to release something this bad. And what this bad, uh, I mean, specifically, I literally used two of the extensions. One is Gmail to ask it about my upcoming flight to San Francisco, which I told you guys about. I'm going to be at the AI engineer as, as a media person. And it couldn't find any information from this flight and just gave me flights from the past. I literally asked, give me flights from the future or like give me my upcoming flights. And it gave me flights from the past. It also gave me two trips to the Denver Museum, which are, which are not flights at all. And so, yeah, we know LLM hallucinates, blah, blah, blah. But if you, if you put your brand behind this and you're Google and you put Gmail in there and you cannot like do a basic search, that's upsetting. And so I said, all right, I'll give it another try. I did YouTube. And I asked, hey, what does MKBHD, Mar Marquez Brownlee, if you guys don't follow him, he's like this great tech reviewer. What does he think about the latest iPhone? And it went to YouTube and it searched and it gave me Marquez's videos from last year about the iPhone 14. And I literally took the same string that I pasted into Bard, went to the YouTube interface, pasted it in the YouTube search and got like the latest videos that he had about the iPhone 15. And so I was thinking there, like, why would I ever use this if like the first two searches did not work, where this is the whole pro a promise of this. So uh, again, not to be negative. I don't love being negative. It's just like from a comparison standpoint, it's really, I, I really got to wonder how many folks in Google are trying to rush through the LLM craze. We remember Sundar Pichai saying AI, 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 AI on the stage like 48 times, right? And they're shoving AI into everywhere. It just, for me, it wasn't that useful. So I would love to hear, Safriya, I see your hand up. I would love to hear from folks on stage about your experience with Bard and those specific kind of extension new things. So I don't have much experience with it, actually for the same reasons that you said, but I want to give the perspective that I think what we're saying here is Google jumped early to stay in the game. Maybe they didn't expect ChatGPT to go viral that big so fast, where this was developed like a sci-fi technology and suddenly it's a household item overnight. Uh, but if you're talking about Google, and I worked at Google actually for three years, about a decade ago, it's a company that can make very big moves very slowly. That means if you're talking about Gmail data, drive data, it's the holiest of holy of privacy. If you want, as an engineer at Google, if you want to touch that data, to read even a single byte, you need to go through quarters of legal meetings. So the fact that they are going in this direction indicates a course heading that they took the time to think of it through and decide, yes, we are doing this very risky move in terms of privacy and user expectations because they believe in the value. So let's see where they get to when they actually, when they are actually fully implemented. 
because I think right now what we are saying is a rush. I agree. I think that's how it definitely feels where the basic stuff like a keyword search works better than like this search and they're basically hitting the API which they have behind. It definitely feels rushed. Very polished UI-wise, very safe, very like protective, like googly, but very, it's not super helpful, I think, at this point. Yeah, I think this is most of the news, unless I'm missing some. So let me look and see in my template that I already crafted for myself. Let's see if we have any more things to cover before we before we move on to the interview. So, yes, one last thing I wanted to find. I'll just find this thing. It's called chain of density. So I saw this. I think it was a paper first, and then I'll share this in the chat. Oh, sorry, in the chat in the in the jumbotron. I saw somebody released a paper on this, and then I think Harrison from Langchain reposted this and actually put it up on their website with the prompt sharing where you can play with prompts is this new method called chain of density was it actually really really good at getting summarizations from from ChatGPT and different other places like cloud as well and i think it's really cool because i just posted it on top it it asks for four summarizations with uh, more and more density right so it starts with like hey summarize this text or article and then it says give me like a json file in response with like four summarizations the second one give me uh, summarization, extract from the first one that you just gave me, extract the entities that were missing, and give me another summarization with those entities, and then do it again and again. And I think there's like some cool prompt magic in there that says something to the tune of make sure that this is understood on its own, and the person doesn't have to read the article to understand the summarization. I personally have gotten really good summarizations based on this technique, so much so that I've added it to my snippets where, where I have different snippets for prompts. And if you are doing any type of summarization, definitely check it out. Mr. I saw your hand briefly up if you want to comment on, on this thing. Yeah, like the first person that I knew who got a contract as a prompt engineer actually used this technique a lot last year. And the way he was explaining it was when you do, when you compress an idea and then you extrapolate, that's how creativity happens in general. Like you compress, you extrapolate out of it, you compress, and then you extrapolate. So it's pretty interesting that someone did this in a much more uh, systematic way. I'm, I'm going to check it yeah. out. Yeah, channel density. And I wanted to ping back real quickly on the compressing part because, yeah, I saw your tweet and there was a paper about compression as well. And Ilya gave a talk about compression recently. And I wanted to see if you want to talk about that compression part and paper briefly. And if not, that's also okay. We can move on. But I just like, I think this is also this week. Yeah, I got, uh, I uh, had some uh, controversial opinions in the last couple of weeks. And as it turns out, there are papers that support them coming up after them. But yeah, I highly, highly just reading a compression paper. Basically, basically what it says is that it, it just, it just conveys the idea that what, what we are actually doing is I want to say re reversing the process that generates the data. And by reversing the process that generates the data, if you think about it, the process that generates the data is us. So I, do, I don't want to, I don't want to say the, the, the words that I shouldn't. I got, a, I got some heat for them, but you can find in my tweet. It's, it's a really good paper. It's really, it's much more scientific, you can say, versus other papers that uh, talk about intelligence, about uh, general intelligence, 
and poke on this idea. And I highly recommend reading this paper if you're interested in this part of what we're doing. It doesn't prove anything because general intelligence is a, is a big thing, but it, it, is, it is interesting. The ideas there are, are, are solid and great to see. Yeah, I, I heard this multiple times, this comparison or metaphor that intelligence is compression and compressing a lot of ideas into, first of all, we compress to natural language, the, the ability of us to understand something, to put it into words, that's compressed. Obviously, Feynman's quote where like you really understand something if you can explain this to a five-year-old is also like compressing down and also being able to explain some stuff. And so I heard this multiple times and it's great to see that there's now papers to talk about this. And the continuous compression, like Nissan said, actually actually brings out better results. And it's also good to see. On the topic of literal compression, I know that like it's confusing. There was also another paper that's worth checking out from this week where they actually used LLMs and different transformers for an actual compression compared to like PNG or, or JPEG, etc. And uh, I think they saw very interesting compression results as well. I don't remember if I have a tweet for that, but yeah, be on the lookout for multiple types of different compression uh, as, we, as we move forward. Thank you. Uh, I think with that, I think we are ready to move on to our guests here on stage and to talk about two exciting things. So first of all, actually three exciting things. One of them is, Nistan, you had a visit to Jeffrey Hinton's lab that I wanted to hear from you a brief story about. After that, we're going to talk to, with Arthur and Zenova about WebGPU and going to do like a, a brief interview about like running models locally in the browser. And then at the end, we're going to talk about Remember All with Ronak and his exciting approach to extending context windows. So with that, I'll just give a brief kind of summary of the space as we had today and some logistics, and then we can get started with the second part of Thursday night. So again, everybody in the audience who just joined or joined in the middle or have joined us from week to week, Thursday I is about staying up to date together and give, giving updates every week so that folks don't have to follow everything because it's almost impossible. I'm very happy to be joined by multiple folks from different disciplines and folks who can answer stuff and complete and, and find new things to get excited about, about AI from different fields every week here on stage. We also have a podcast and a newsletter. If you're here and you're new and you just like just joined us and you can't join next week, you can sign up for the newsletter as well. We stay up to date so you don't have to. This is the motto. And the first part of this is usually updates from the last week, breaking news. There's another breaking news with YouTube something, but I think we'll cover this next time unless uh, folks here want to read up on this and then give us an update at the end. But the second part of it is usually a deep dive into different conversations and, and guests. And today we have Arthur and we have Ronak to, to talk about different very exciting things. And we'll start with Nistan's brief foray into the lab. AKA, yeah, listen, give us, give us like a few minutes on, on your, your excursion. Well, I've been going as a guest to Vector Institute for over a year now, a year and a half. And this time I, I went in and I'd never met uh, Pharrell in real life. I didn't even know what he looked like. It was just some dude. <laughs> he was GitHub. And yeah, so I, I invited him in and we were going to work on making the bootable, uh, bootable OS that just boots straight into a GGML model and then hopefully gets Chromium running with the web GPU. And essentially I just, I made before a, a tiny 4.7 gig. So that includes an entire Llama 7B model and an entire Linux distro. I use Slackware. It's like, that's the smallest and 
I used that for like 20 years. And yeah, so we were in the lab and eventually he's like, let's just try and get the whole thing working. So let's just try and get this, the mixture of experts working. Let's just do it all at once and see where we, where we get stuck. And anyway, I had to call another friend who was an extremely good DevOps engineer to help. And, and yeah, anyway, long story short, I couldn't get it to run on the GPU because there were no instances and I only had an A10 24 gig and mixture of experts needs more than that because it's 32 experts. So I had to run it on the CPU and that's what we spent the entire day and evening on. And it was really slow. And then we realized, yeah, this is probably like the first time someone has effectively ran mixture of experts model on, on, on a CPU. And uh, again, it's, you, you can check out the repo. I made a CPU branch and is the V1 branch if you really want to get it to work. But yeah, that was the start. I just met with a random person from Twitter for the first time who was on, in their Discord. And yeah, it was... It was fun. And we also, the funniest part was that happened to be there, uh, Colin Raffel, who has been teaching about mixture of experts and, and writing a lot of the papers. And then we look behind and, and he's just like literally like five desks away. And I was just like taken aback. It's like, oh, holy cow, he's here. Uh, and he, he had no idea who we were, I think. So yeah, that was, that was fun. There. If, if you don't mind me completing the story for what you told me multiple times, because I think it's like way more colorful than you, than you let on. First of all, Vector Lab is the lab of Jeffrey Hinton, the grandfather of AI, right? This is the lab. This is like, he's widely considered the person who like have kickstarted this whole field, basically. Is that, is that, that lab? Was he there? Yeah. 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 Elias Iskever has been, his student. he wasn't there. He's there's only has like one PhD, uh, one student under his wing this year. So he comes in very rarely. But yeah, Ilya Siskever uh, was not in, in the smaller lab before they moved here. Also, Adrian Gomez, the one of the writers of the Transformers paper, still comes there every once in a while. He was there regularly up until Cohere got funded last year. And yeah, this is... it. This is the lab and it's, it's pretty funny because everyone's very, very academic and we're just straight up hacking on like whatever we can find. So the second thing that I wanted to cover here is that exactly what you built in the lab of Geoffrey Hinton, because he's now very public about uh, AI kind of doomerism and AI different kind of potential bad things that will happen with AI and how to not open source, how to regulate. He's very public, he's on every news. And here you are, you and Pharrell are working on an ISO, a bootable AI disk that you literally can run offline that has Llama and offline LLM the, <laughs> that basically will say, even if they regulate, you can just like take an old CPU-based machine and run this thing. So you're basically democratizing AI in the lab of the person who's now like very, very vocal about like stopping it. So that's, that's the second part that I personally like very enjoyed. It's, it's not just that. Also, if you listen further than what the news media shows, it's a lot more complex than that. He, he wants people to acknowledge that the risks are real and show that they are mitigating them. But at the same time, he's been doing research to do molecularly grown chips and that architecture first didn't work. So they're still going full speed ahead. They're just making the reason that they went that way was just saying to a lot of the 
community just don't act like idiots just regulate yourselves that that was why they were challenging that it, it's it was a lot more complex than people realize and the professor there colin he's been a big pusher for democratizing and open sourcing models see in general and so yeah it's a lot more it's a lot more nuanced than what you see in the media and when you think about it the safest form of ai that you can have is one that you can just literally unplug and you have full control over so there is nothing safer than that uh, otherwise you're just trusting some incompetent politician with regulatory or whatever legal hacks to control it yeah. so it's uh yeah yeah it's it's a lot i want to say to be it's a lot more nuanced than people than what you just seen media snippets and reactionary Twitter sucks. Yeah, I hear you and definitely we'll, we'll, we'll check out the nuances in Jeffrey Hinton. On the topic, very briefly before Arthur, I apologize, we'll get to it in just a second, just like something that also happened this week. Jan LeCun, the GOAT, AKA the chief meta AI chief scientist, went in front of the Senate, I think a couple of days ago. And he, I just pinned the tweet on the top that he actually retweeted, which was like sent by notices. And uh, he gave an incredible opening statement talking about how open sourcing is very important, why the open source llama, talking about the, the fact that the open source llama won and the sky didn't fall and, and all of these things. And he also outlined a bunch of the safety protocols that they had into account when they released llama 2. And I think it's a, first of all, very important to have somebody like Jan in front of Senate and talking about the legislators and the regulators and about regulation. Because we see more and more Yam. I think you brought up last week about that there was a, another discussion and Elon Musk was there and, and Sundar Pichai was there. Like everybody was there talking about the AI and how to regulate. And I think it's very important to have voices like Jan Lekun talk about, like talk with different uh, things with clarity and safety. And so I definitely recommend everybody to check out his opening statement because, you know, the Doomers, it's very easy to scare, especially on like the engaged baiting networks like X and et cetera. It's very easy to like take something that people don't understand and use it to scare folks. And I think it's very important to have very clear, very credentialed and very like understanding people from this world to actually explain that there's benefits and explain how open source can benefit as well. And I think you also mentioned how excited the open source community was about the Lama 2 release. And I want to believe that we all had like a small, tiny part to play in, in this. And so, yeah, we're definitely on Jan's map. Sorry, Jan Likun's map. And definitely worth checking this out. I think with that, Nathan, thank you for sharing your story. Tell us more escapades from Vector Lab. And if you get to meet Geoffrey Hinton, tell him about Thursday I and also Colin. All right, folks, actually concludes the two hours that we've allotted for Thursday I today. I, I know there's like many folks. I see Dave in the audience. What's up, Dave? I haven't seen you for a while. I see, I see other folks stepping in with, with all the sadness of I, I want to keep talking with all of you. There's also now a need to transcribe this and, and, and put this into a newsletter form. It's here every week. We're here literally every week since before it came out. I think, did I miss one week on the vacation? Yeah, newsletter came out, but we didn't talk that week. I felt like, oh, I miss my guys. I miss my friends. <laughs> we need to get up to date together. So we're here every Thursday. I, there's so much always to talk about. I want to just like to highlight how much boring this would have been without friends like Nistan, Zenova, Arthur, now the new friend of the pod, Sofri, and some other folks who stepped away, Yam and Far and Pharrell and like many, many other folks who joined this week to week and help us bring you, the, the audience, 
AI news roundup possible on, on X slash Twitter. Now almost six, seven months already into this. This has uh, opened many, many opportunities for many folks on stage, including myself. I'm going to the AI engineer conference as a media person. I'm going to do some spaces from there. If you're in the AI engineer conference in a couple of weeks, uh, definitely reach out and uh, we'll talk over there. Without, with that, I want to just say, without the audience here, this also would be very, very boring. So thank you for joining from week to week. Thank you for listening, tuning in. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for sharing with your friends. And thank you for leaving comments as well. And with that, I want to wish you a happy Thursday. I, I'm sure there's going to be many, many, many new things releasing just today. But, you know, we can only cover so much. With that, thank you, folks. Have a nice rest of your Thursday. And we'll meet you here next week. And uh, yeah, cheers. Have a good one.